Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge Church. Thank you so much for joining us for worship online today. I'm excited that you're with us. Maybe you're new. If you're new today, for whatever reason you decided to join us, welcome. If you would text the number on your screen, then we've got a gift that we want to give you today. And if you have been with us, or maybe you're new today, either way, we're continuing in a series that we just started in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 5, starting in verse 5 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're talking about the sufficiency of God's grace in this sermon series. And last week during the message, I mentioned how a lot of times real life it can be even more entertaining than, than movies or TV shows that we watch. And then afterwards, several people shared with me different news stories they had seen. In fact, Pastor Mason, that you saw at the beginning of this, this video today and that you'll see at the end of the service, uh, he came up to me after I preached the message and he said, I saw this story the other day in the news. It just blew my mind. And he started sharing with me about this couple that was struggling in their marriage. And so they did something that we certainly don't recommend, but that many people do, is they started looking for a relationship outside of their marriage, and so they got online and they started talking in a chat room, and each one of them made up a phony name. Uh, the wife called herself Sweetie, and the husband gave himself the nickname, this is real humble, Prince of Joy. <laughs> and uh, they started talking to each other, but they didn't realize they were talking to each other. They started sharing about their marriage and some similarities they had in their struggles and their marriage, and uh, eventually they decided they wanted to go on a date and they were going to meet each other. And so they decided they were going to go to a place, and they were both going to carry a rose into the place. And when they got there and they saw there was someone that they're already married to, that they were meeting up with, how do you think they responded? Because when I read the story, I laughed and I thought, that's like God's sense of humor of showing you, this is your person. I've already brought you together. I'm going to bring you together again. And what you need to do is forgive one another. But listen to some of the things that they said when they talked about this with the newspaper afterwards. The wife said, I thought I had found the love of my life. The way this prince of joy spoke to me, the things he wrote, the tenderness and every expression was something I had never had in my marriage. The husband said, to be honest, I still find it hard to believe that, that the person, sweetie, who wrote such wonderful things to me on the internet is actually the same woman I married and has not said a nice word to me for years. And then he went on to say that after chatting that he finally... He finally thought he had found the ideal woman only to realize it was the woman he was already married to. And when they saw each other and realized that the other one was cheating on them, they decided to get a divorce. Now, there's a lot of things that I thought about when I saw that story. I thought, well, you're upset that the other person's wronging you, but you're doing the same thing. And so why don't you forgive? Why, why not forgiveness? Let me ask you, do you have anyone that you need to forgive? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's someone in our church. Maybe it's a pastor who didn't meet an expectation that you had. And maybe that's why you're checking out our church. Or, or, or maybe it was a business deal and you had a business partner and they shorted you. Or, or maybe it's your kids and it's because of the way they treat you or talk to you. Or maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a mom. You never lived up to our expectations. Or maybe it's a dad who was absent or angry or abusive. Or maybe, maybe it's a sibling a friend who betrayed you or let you down, or somebody who gossiped, they talked about you, or maybe it's a bully at school and the trouble that they've caused you. I think if we go through the list, we, all ha- we can all think of someone that we need to forgive. And we can all, probably all think of a hundred, maybe a thousand, maybe a million reasons not to forgive. But today, the passage of Scripture that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians, 
It's one of the, the, the most rich passages in all of the New Testament about why we should forgive. Why, why should you and I forgive? And so the question I want us to ask ourselves as we walk through this passage of Scripture today and hear what God has to say to our hearts is why should I forgive? And if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, start reading in verse 5. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11 today. And we're picking up where we left off last week. Last week, if you were with us, you might remember then in verse 4, we ended in chapter 2, we were talking about Paul's motive for ministry, and we're asking, why do we do, whether it's ministry with our kids, or ministry in the church, or ministry in our community, like, why do we do our ministry? And he said that his ministry was for his own joy, but the way that he received joy was when the people he was ministering to received joy, and the way that they had joy was when they lived by faith. And so he's saying, my joy is your joy, and so I want you to have joy. And then in our passage today, he's sharing with them one of the ways that we're robbed of joy. One of the ways that many of us will not live the Christian life that God's designed us to live as followers of Jesus is because of unforgiveness. And I don't think there's ever been a better time in history to talk about a message of forgiveness than right now. When our country is so divided, divided politically, whether we're talking about the election, we're talking about Supreme Court justice, we're talking about policies, we're divided racially, we're divided in churches, we're divided amongst friends, we're divided from people we haven't talked to in a while. And what our church needs, what the church needs, what the the country needs, what our world needs, is for the church to shine. Like the salt and light that it's supposed to be as a community of forgiveness. That's what Paul's calling to this church in Corinth to do. And look at this passage of Scripture with me. We'll look at verses 5 through 11 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority, and so what's happened is, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, is church discipline for this person. This punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by the excessive sorrow. Verse 8, so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And so here, Paul's talking in this passage of Scripture about someone who's offended him personally. He talks about his own forgiveness for this person, but it's also had a ripple effect and impacted the whole church. And then he gives us three reasons, at least three reasons in this passage of Scripture, why we should all forgive. The first reason is simply this. We forgive because forgiveness lifts an overwhelming burden of condemnation. Forgiveness lifts an overwhelming burden of condemnation. You see, there's a weight that sin brings that we're not meant to carry. Have you ever, have you ever moved before or helped somebody else move? And, and there are things that maybe when you bought them, you didn't think about moving them up a staircase or through a doorway or different things. The delivery people dropped them off and it was great and you've used it, but now it's time you're moving into a dorm or you're moving to a new apartment or you're moving from one house to another house or you're moving across the country. Or maybe somebody calls you say, can you come help me move? And you're like, I like you. We can go. We go to church together. We hang out. And you show up at their new apartment that's on the third floor and they don't have an elevator. Then you open the truck up and they own a piano. And your first thought is, I don't even like you anymore, but, but you're there. And so you move it, and maybe you and like three or four people are going up the stairway, and then you find yourself, you realize this piano was not designed to go up and down a stairwell, and you find yourself by the rail and the wall, and you're kind of underneath this thing, and you think, the piano's not designed for this. I don't know. Maybe you don't know your calling from God, but you know this isn't it. You know you weren't designed for this. Here's why. It's too much. 
or maybe it's a couch or a refrigerator, and you're carrying it with other people. Eventually, you've got to take a break. It's just, it's just too much. You weren't designed to carry the weight of sin. It's too much. And you see that. There's so many people that they live in a prison of secrecy, and they think that maybe they've gotten away with sin. Maybe they cheated, cheated on their taxes, cheated at work, cheated on their spouse, cheated in different ways, and nobody's going to know, but they know. And so they're carrying it around. Or maybe you've got an internet history you hope nobody sees. Or, or maybe there's shame from something that's been done to you or done by you in your past. You think no one can know that, and, and, but you carry it around. David talks about what this is like in the Psalms, referring to his sin with Bathsheba. That, that on the outward, he was, he was living like the king. He was ruling the nation. He was doing everything that everybody expected. But inside, he talks about how he was wasting away. His bones were... They felt like the heat of the day, they were, they were crushed, your bones being crushed. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 3, read that and you'll see. You see Judas and how he couldn't handle the weight of sin in his life. And, and we have that a lot of times when we, care, when we have secret sin. But then also sometimes we carry the, the weight of other people's sins when we don't forgive. And so there's a, a ripple effect. It impacts not only the person who's sinning and maybe hiding their sin, but then the people that, are, that they've sinned against and they're holding on to that. Have you ever held a grudge? Can you be honest and say, have you ever held a grudge? I've held a grudge before. Been upset with someone for something they've done. Sometimes they don't even know. Let me just ask you to think about that statement for a second. If you're holding a grudge, who's carrying the weight? If you're holding a grudge, who's carrying the weight? They might not even know that you're upset. And you're carrying the weight that you weren't designed to carry. When it comes to sin, I've got bad news and good news. Bad news is this. Sin affects everyone. Sin always has a ripple effect. Your sin is never isolated to just you. Sin into the world through one man, Adam. Talk about a ripple effect. And then you look at every sin throughout the Bible, and it impacted more than just the individual who sinned. And the same true in your life and my life. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Forgiveness affects everyone. Every one of us needs forgiveness from God. There's not a person who's been created that doesn't need forgiveness from God. And then the way we relate with each other, we need forgiveness with each other. Because it impacts everyone. And that's what Paul's alluding to in this passage of Scripture when he starts off in verse 5. And he talks about how he's been sinned against. He says, now if anyone has caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. It's impacted the whole church. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. What's he talking about here when he talks about this punishment? He's referring to what a lot of people call church discipline or church restoration, depending on how you look at it. And what is that? Like maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're just checking this out for the first time. You're like, what's church discipline? Well, when you become a, a member of a church, a covenant, like you make a promise, you're making a commitment to one another as a church body, you're saying that you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to live a life pursuing righteousness, and the church, part of their responsibility is to say, we're going to help you in that process. We're going to keep you accountable in that. And what happens periodically is that people get off track. And so Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 18, if you want to read more about it. And he says, if someone sins, and you, you have a responsibility to go and confront them in their sin. But if they won't listen to you, then you, then you bring some other people to try and help them as witnesses in this. Then, then you maybe you bring the leaders in the church, and then eventually it gets to the point where if somebody continues in unrepentant, repentance is when you turn from your sin, you turn back to God. When somebody continues in unrepentant sin, then eventually what you do is you start treating them like a non-believer. And a non-believer can't be a member of a church non-believer, we would tell not to, have, not to take communion. at the, Can they attend church? Yes. So you want them to hear the gospel? Yeah, you want them. But that only thing really you have to talk with them about is their soul. What happens is that sometimes there's people who've identified as members of a church, but then live like they're a non-believer, and they've got sin that would, would be dis- degrading to their reputation, to the reputation of, the, of church. or reputation. It's happened earlier in, in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a guy 
who was shacking up with his dad's wife. Now, we don't know if it's his mom, his stepmom. We don't know that for sure. But Paul says to, that, to them, he says, listen, this guy's doing stuff that even non-believers don't think is okay. And you're gonna, you can't just act like it's okay in the church. And the language he uses is not kick him out of the church. The language he uses is hand him over to Satan. If he's not following God, you can't act like he is. Don't, make, don't placate to him. Make him think everything's good. The most loving thing you can do, confront this sin and let him know that hey, you're not living like a believer. We can't affirm your faith, and so you can't be a member of this church. But the goal and the hope is that they repent and they're restored. And this isn't something you do with every kind of sin, you know, different kinds of sins you have, but the kind of, that, are, that ruin reputation of the church for the sake of the purity of the church, for the, for the person that we continue to repent. And I'm not saying that people in the church aren't sinners. Everyone in the church is a sinner. But the covenant community is supposed to be repenting sinners that are making progress and walking in purity and righteousness with God. The unrepentant sinner is the one that says, I'm going to do this, I don't care what you say, I don't care what God says, I'm doing my thing. And eventually you say, hey, we can't do that until they come back. But apparently what's happened with this guy is he's divisive. That divisiveness, sexual morality, those are the types of sins that a lot of times they get confronted for, for church restoration, for church discipline. Titus chapter 3, verse 10 says you've got a divisive person in your church, warn them once, warn them twice, and not have anything to do with them. This guy apparently was saying stuff to attack Paul, and it was impacting the whole church, and then Paul wrote them to do something about this, and so they disciplined this guy, and now he's repented, and now the church doesn't know what to do. And he's saying, well, if they've repented, you have to forgive. And he gives one of the reasons why. And the why is because of the weight of sin. Look at what he says. Verse 7. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. There's a weight to, to you, to the church, not forgiving him. And so release that weight, lift that weight for him. The word overwhelmed there means to swallow up. It's an allusion to a passage of Scripture where Moses talks about in the Old Testament that people, because of their rebelliousness, are actually swallowed up by the earth. It's used sometimes in other Greek literature of when there's a storm and people are swallowed up, overwhelmed by the waves of the storm. In other words, it's too much. It's more than he can handle. And so by forgiving, what you're doing is you're releasing that way. Because here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing someone from your right to be repaid by them. Forgiveness is when you release someone else from your right, because they've wronged you, they've done something to you, you're releasing them from the right to be repaid. In fact, if you look at the Bible, a lot of times when sin's talked about, the analogy that's used is a financial analogy. In fact, in that, in that passage of Scripture that I mentioned where Jesus talks about church restoration, Matthew chapter 18, after that, one of his, his prized students, Peter, comes up to him, and, he, and he's, got, you know, he's been contemplating this, thinking about this. And so, but then they turn back, and how many times do I have to forgive? There was a Jewish thought that if someone sinned against you, you gave them three chances. Three, kind of like the three strikes. It wasn't a baseball thing, but like three strikes and you're out, three opportunities. So Peter thinks that he's like prized student, and he says, Jesus, how, if someone sins against me, and then they, they repent, and I forgive them, how many times do I have to do that? Seven times? Like, look at, I'm willing to go above and beyond, not only double, but double plus one. Then Jesus responds, and the Bible translators argue about whether it's 77 times or 70 times seven. It doesn't matter because the point's not the number. In fact, if you're counting how many times someone sinned against you, you've already missed grace. The point's not the number. The point is, if they repent, you restore, you forgive. And so then Jesus tells a story about a king who's owed debt, and he calls his servants in to pay the debt, and he's got this one servant who owes him so much debt, it's 10,000 talents, if you know this story. 
then you know a lot of times what pastors will say is like that's just that's like a million dollars and then later the point of the story is that, that he, he says to another guy who owes him a little bit of money and the pastor will be like that was like five dollars those numbers aren't true first of all a talent is not even a dollar amount a talent is a weight one talent of silver weighed 75 pounds now to put in perspective the kind of number we're talking about in this story in matthew chapter 18 all of Palestine, for their annual taxes, would pay 800 talents. The whole, all of Palestine, okay? 800 talents. This guy owed 10,000 talents. One talent of silver was worth 6,000 denarii. One denarii is a day's wages. So you can start, some of you are math people, start figuring that out. It's about 15, 16 years worth of work. Let's put that in our numbers. It's not a story problem, a math story problem here, but in North Carolina, the, the median income for a household in North Carolina is $50,000. So that means that one talent, to pay that back, would be about $800,000. But he doesn't owe one talent. He owes 10,000 talents. In other words, he owes billions of dollars. And so if he took his annual income, say it was $50,000 a year, and he didn't buy any food, and he didn't spend any money, and he took 100% of his income, it would take him 160,000 years to pay this debt back. So the king calls him in. He says, you've got to pay your debt. Do you know what the guy asked for? Time. Patience, he says. Be patient with me. So I just had more time. Buddy, think you, there's no, you can't have enough time. 160,000 years if you give it. 100%. you got no shot, man. In other words, you've got a debt that you cannot pay Listen to me, follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you something? You have a debt you cannot pay. Now, some of you, that's hard to understand because maybe you grew up in a really nice home and you had Christian parents and, and you learned the acceptable sins and the unacceptable sins and you never did the unacceptable. You know, the acceptable sins are things like anger and you can get angry with people and you can gossip and call it a prayer request and, and you can be gluttonous. We got our potlucks and we do all this stuff. You get, but you can't. Just don't do the sexual sins. Don't steal any money. Don't say certain words. And whatever culture you grew up in for Christianity, some other social rules that'll come. As long as you don't do the naughty sins, you can do the... You know what we see about the Bible? Is that God's list and our list aren't always the same. Not only that, but regardless of whether you grew up in a pretty clean life or whether you grew up in a pretty naughty life, your sin's not measured by the deeds you do. Some of you have heard me say this before. The heinousness of your sin is not measured by the wickedness of your deeds, but by the holiness of your God. The heinousness of your sin is not measured by the wickedness of your deeds, but by the holiness of your God. And we have a God who is in heaven, and the angels are continually singing to Him three times, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We can't even look upon His holiness. He dwells in unapproachable light. You know what that means for us? One sin, one sin would require eternity for us to repay. We don't have enough time. We, we, could, we have a debt we cannot pay, and that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When Jesus Christ says the language, it is finished on the cross. To telestize the Greek word. It means paid in full. 
See, the guy in, the, in Matthew chapter 18, his only hope is mercy, and mercy is expressed through forgiveness. I, I'm releasing you from my right to be repaid and believer in Jesus Christ. That's what's happened to you when you placed your faith in Jesus, because what Jesus did, it is finished on the cross for you. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, then you've got a debt you cannot pay. That Jesus paid for at the cross, which you've got to receive. The wages, another financial language, the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. That's what that word death means. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You've got to receive that forgiveness. Follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven much. Do you have anyone you need to forgive? Because what happens in Matthew chapter 18, this is where the story takes a wild twist is that the guy's forgiven billions of dollars, and he goes out, and the, the other person owes him thousands of dollars. It's a legitimate, legally he has a right to collect the payment, but people are blown away that he demands payment because he's been forgiven so much. What about you? Is there anyone you can think of that you need to forgive? Because what forgiveness does, it releases, it lifts a weight of condemnation. Not only that, but forgiveness reveals an otherworldly kind of love. Forgiveness not only lifts a weight of condemnation, it reveals another worldly kind of love. Because think about this, when there's a wrong between two parties in our world, what does this world tell us we need to do? Get even. Retribution. Seek revenge. You're going to pay. You did this to me, now you're going to pay me back. And I'm going to dominate and demonstrate. I'm going to be passive-aggressive. I'm going to be a victim. I'm going to be self-righteous. There's all kinds of avenues to get to this. But it's all the same thing. You owe me. And I'm going to let everybody know that you owe me, and I've got power, I've got control over you. But what forgiveness does, and the church is supposed to be a light, it should be a place, in the, and think about in our divided world right now, how the community of Christ could look different than everywhere else. There's a place, a community of forgiveness where we release the right for repayment. And what does that show? Love. Christ-like, otherworldly kind of love. What did Paul say in this passage? In verse 7, we saw it releases a weight. Look at it. He said in verse 7, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. That's the, the lifting of that weight. And then verse 8 tells the second reason. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. It's been said by some that never are we more like Jesus than when we're forgiving someone. And you look and you see, just even look in the Bible, those of you who know Bible stories, and you see when someone's demonstrating forgiveness, doesn't that ultimately point us back to Jesus and that point us to the cross? Like you think about... A lot of times Christians will talk about, I want to get to a church that's like the early church. And they read Acts 2. And it's, it's appealing. It's like they're gathered together in intimate relationship. They're taking off masks. And, and then they're studying the Bible and praying. And they're not caught up in all the, the hoopla of this. They're just follow, they're focused on Jesus. And it's like, yeah, does we want, everyone wants that. But you know they're disobedient? Do you know the early church is disobedient? That Jesus had given them a mission? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Do you know what they had done? They stayed together in their holy huddle, and they stuck around in Jerusalem. They weren't sending out any missionaries, and they weren't trying to go reach the world, and their heart wasn't broken over the lost. And so what God does is he sends persecution through the obedience of a man named Stephen. He's the first Christian martyr. And you read this in Acts chapter 7 and in Acts chapter 8, and what you see is that God accomplishes his purpose through persecution, through the difficulty that comes when people come against Christianity. And what Stephen does is he stands up and he tells some very powerful men about Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they're upset. And they decide they're going to stone him to death. And so they take Stephen out, and they're going to stone him to death, and he falls on his knees, and he says, The Lord, I commit my spirit to you. But then the next statement, he says, Lord, do not hold this against them, 
Can you imagine praying for the person who's killing you while they're killing you? But doesn't that sound a lot like Jesus when he was on the cross? And they're gambling over his clothes and they've beaten him so he's beyond recognition of a human. They put a thorn crown on his head. They've nailed him to a cross. And then he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're, they don't know who I am. They don't know what they have. They don't realize the con- They don't know what they're doing. And then you think about it when it happens here on this earth. There are people that live this out. I was reading a story this week about a guy. His name was Captain Charlie Plum. He was a Vietnam prisoner of war. He had flown 74 successful missions for the U.S. Navy in Vietnam. On his 75th mission, which he later found out would have been his last, he was going to go home after this mission, he was captured as a prisoner of war. Spent 2,103 days in a war camp. That's over six years. And so six years he's there. Six Christmases, six birthdays that he's there. And he's put in isolation. He's tortured. I won't say all the details because we have such a wide range in age in the audience. He, he sees his, he's starved. He's, he's seen his comrades die. His fiance he's separated from. When he gets back home six years later, she's engaged to someone else. And they did all these terrible things to him. And, and the, the, the military went to his family before he got home and said that he's going to have PTSD. He may have to be institutionalized. And then when I heard him sharing, he said, I don't have PTSD, I have PTG. Post-traumatic growth. Why? He said, one reason forgiveness. Can you imagine forgiving the people that are torturing you while they're torturing you? And he was asked about why forgive. And let me read you his quote. He says, only when you forgive can you see things as they really are. Only when you forgive can you see things as they really are. In that passage in Acts chapter 7, it says that that Stephen, when he falls to his knee, he sees the Lord standing at the right hand. He sees Jesus we think about what we see when we see Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. Do you know who was there that day when Stephen was being stoned to death? It's a guy named Paul who writes the letter that we're reading about right now in 2 Corinthians. But he wasn't there as a supporter of Stephen. He was there in support of Stephen being murdered. This was before, the, before Paul had received forgiveness. He's part of this murder. He's guilty of the murder of Stephen. He's giving approval of what's happening there. Do you think when Paul wrote this, about the overwhelmingness of sin and the sorrow, that he would be overtaken by sorrow, and the demonstration of love that he thought about Stephen and seeing love put into action through forgiveness. Follower of Jesus, do you think our world needs to see a demonstration of, this world's messed up. Do you think it needs to see a demonstration of otherworldly love right now? Do you know anyone that needs to be forgiven? Maybe forgiven by God and you need to share the gospel with them. Maybe forgiven by you and it's time for you to, to, to put the gospel into action and demonstrate otherworldly love. That's, that's the second reason to forgive. We forgive because it releases a weight of condemnation. We forgive because it demonstrates an otherworldly love, but we forgive also because it outwits our enemy. We forgive because it outwits our enemy. Look what Paul said in the last few verses of this passage in, in verses 9 through 11. It says, for this is why I wrote, verse 9, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom, you have, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence before the eyes of Christ, so that we, here's the reason, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, if you've been with us as a church for a little while, 
We just wrapped up a series. We are talking about Ephesians chapter 6 and spiritual battle. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but we've got an enemy who wants to destroy us, create division. It's not flesh and blood, but powers. And ultimately, it's the devil. And here we're saying Satan, he's gonna, he wants to outwit you. That word for outwit here in this passage, it means to take advantage of you. To take advantage of you to the point of defrauding you. Defrauding, there's another, that's more financial language. It's taking something from you that belongs to you. What does he want to defraud us of as a church? In the context of this passage, it's clear. Forgiveness. Strength as a church. Spiritual growth. Everything that God intended for the church to be, for your spiritual life to be. And we're being robbed of it when we won't experience and live in a community, a place of grace, a community of forgiveness that fosters a forgiveness because we've been forgiven that we're forgiving people. So how does the enemy do that? There are lots of ways. But as I think about how to apply this for us and for some of you, what might stop you from forgiving is that our enemy, the deceiver, likes to twist what forgiveness is and, and put little cultural slogans that come in or, or little nuances of things that are true, just like he does when he's tempting Jesus. He twists the truth just enough to make it not true anymore, but it sounds really good, and there are some things that forgiveness is not that would stop some of us from experiencing and giving forgiveness. Here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not. I'll give you at least four things. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Now, you've probably heard that statement before. Forgive and forget. Like, if you're going to forgive, that means you forget something. And that stops some of us from forgiving because we think, I could never for. Maybe what it is you need to forgive is the... It's like abuse or an affair or something that's like the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And then someone comes to you and says, you have to forget, and you think, that's not even... I'm not even going to try it. It's not even possible. Let me tell you why people say that, I think. Because the Bible says that God takes our sin as far as the east is from the west, and it even says that he remembers it no more. And so then we start to, we, we conclude, we deduce from that, that he forgets. Now listen, God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget anything. He doesn't forget because he's omniscient. That's a, a big theological word for he knows everything. And so if you think that that's not true, then just go in the Bible and look at sins that are written down that have been forgiven. For instance, we just talked about Paul and murder. And so Paul's been forgiven of murder. Does God not know? Does God go and read the Bible and go, when did that happen? I forgot about it. No, God's all-knowing. He knows that it happened. Paul himself gets wronged by other people. He has the Jews. He receives from the Jews five times, 30, 40 lashes minus one. So 39 lashes on him. He's got, he's got a lot of welts on his back. So a year after that happens, is Paul taking his shirt off and go, where did those come from? He looks in the mirror. No. He didn't forget. But that doesn't mean he hasn't. Because remember what forgiveness is. It's releasing someone of your right to receive repayment. It doesn't mean that he forgot. So forgiveness doesn't, doesn't mean forgetting. Do you know what else forgiveness doesn't mean? Forgiveness doesn't mean that the person gets away with it. Because I think sometimes we, we, we think forgiveness is kind of like cheap grace. Like we're just, it's kind of church campy. Like if you grew up going to church camp, then you know like you could be a jerk all week and then on the last night throw your stick in the fire and apologize and then you're like the celebrity of everyone's excited. God did a work in your life. And it's, like, it's amazing, but you were faking it. I mean, it's just all, just, you know how the system works. And so some people do that with other people. They know as a we have to forgive. If you ask for forgiveness, we have to forgive you. But then that, that doesn't mean they just get away with it. It doesn't mean there's no consequences. Let me tell you a situation from my own life. I won't tell you all the details just for the sake of time, but some of you have been part of our church. You know the, the details of the story. Our family was wronged, criminally wronged by someone. Because of their sin, they sinned against our family and another family. We ended up in the court system for a couple years. And finally, one day, we were standing in criminal court, and what they do, part of our procedure process, what we were allowed to do is, as victims, make a victim impact statement. As the people who were wronged, make a victim impact statement. And so on behalf of our family, 
I stood up to make the statement. And in my statement, I said, this is what this person has done. This is why it's wrong. Here's how it's impacted individuals in our family. Here's how it's impacted our family as a whole. Here's the ripple effect. Here's some things that we've tried to do to remedy that. But here's why it still lasted today, even years later. And then I talked about my own forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And I talked about the great debt that I had and how that had been released for me because of what Jesus had done on the cross. Now I had received that forgiveness. And then I talked to the, the, the person who did this. And I told him, I said, and I forgive you and we forgive you. And then I looked at the judge and I said, I hope that he will receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But I still think he's not safe and there should be consequences. Now did the second statement I make undo the first statement? No. Because there are consequences for our sins. Sometimes you can forgive someone, but they still need to go to jail. Sometimes you can forgive someone, but there's still, there's still trust that's been broken, so there's boundaries that have to be set, and you re- it requires discernment in each situation. Sometimes you forgive someone, but wisdom would just tell you they can't be trusted, and trust can't be, maybe would never be restored, but can't be restored immediately. It's going to take time, and, and so there's still consequences. Forgiveness does not mean they just get away with something. But be careful, believer, be careful, because... You're not supposed to seek vengeance. You're not supposed to be the one seeking retribution. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, he says this, that we never seek revenge. In Romans chapter 12, and verse 18, this is a great verse, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But then listen to verse 19. Beloved, this is believers, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, God is just. His justice means that every sin, the ones that no one knows about except for the person who did them, every sin, every sin will be dealt with. Either at the cross of Christ, and if you demand more payment than what Jesus paid at the cross, you're saying the cross is not enough. It's either dealt with at the cross of Christ or it's paid for in eternity, in hell. Every sin will be dealt with because God is just. They don't get away with it. And sometimes there are consequences. Sometimes you have an employee that steals money from your company and you forgive them, but it doesn't mean you're going to put them in charge of the books. There's consequences. Sometimes you have a spouse and they cheated on you. You forgive them and you, you even reconcile the marriage and you stand together, but it doesn't mean you don't ask more questions of accountability when they want to stay late at work or you emails that are happening. There's consequences. Not punishment, not vengeance, but boundaries. And the other thing, sometimes people confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Because reconciliation takes two people. You might have someone to forgive that has died. You might have someone to forgive that won't even acknowledge that what they've done is wrong. You're still commanded to forgive, but you can't have reconciliation because reconciliation takes two people. And the person who's done the wrong has to acknowledge and accept responsibility for what they've done. Accept the consequences and accept your forgiveness for there to be reconciliation. Now, forgiveness is like a doorway to reconciliation. It opens the door, and as a believer in Jesus, you've got a responsibility. You confront sin, offer forgiveness, but if it won't be received, you're not responsible for the reconciliation. But you must forgive. Forgiveness is not a feeling either. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not letting someone get away with it. Forgiveness is not uh, um, reconciliation necessarily. Forgiveness is not feeling. And I've told stories in our church before about times when people have demonstrated forgiveness and sought reconciliation and then they can feel a release of that weight. But sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. I remember I told a story one time about Corey Tenboom. Those of you who don't know her, 
She's famous for being a Christian um, in Nazi Germany that was helping during the Holocaust free Jewish people. It was, uh, they don't know exact numbers, but about 800,000 Jews she's credited with saving their lives. And, and then she eventually was arrested, her and her family, and they went to a prison camp. And in one prison camp, or even uh, her sister died there. And she experienced terrible things there. And she got out. And if you read her story, you find out that I think it was a week later she found out she was only released by a clerical error and all the women in her age group were actually killed in a gas chamber a week later. And so she talks about grace and she talks about forgiveness and she talks about the gospel and she would go around to different churches and share her story and preach about grace. And she was preaching at this one church in Munich, Germany. And after the service, this man came up to her and when she saw him, she recognized his face. He was a guard at Ravensbrück where her sister died. She said all the emotions came back. It's like she was transported there when she saw his face, the pile of clothes, heaps of clothes, these men mocking the, the, her and other people and the terrible things that happened to her while she was there. And, and this man said, it's amazing what you say. God has washed me of all my sin. She said in that moment, she did not feel love. She did not feel, she felt anger. I'm sure if you've been wrong severely, you can relate. And she shares in her story about how she wrestled with, he stuck his hand out to shake her hand, and she couldn't get her hand to come up. She was frozen. She went back and forth, and she prayed in the angry thoughts and the vengeful thoughts, and then she asked God, forgive me for these thoughts, even help me forgive him. And eventually she shook his hand, and she said, when I shook his hand, I felt it was like an electric current coming through her shoulder, through her hand, and love going to this man, this stranger to her. She, she loved him in that moment, and you think, that's, sometimes that happens. Well, I read another story about Corey Ten Boom this week. And she talked about how there was a period in her life where she was struggling with some of the things that had happened to her, and for weeks, a couple of weeks, she couldn't even sleep at night, replaying these thoughts, replaying these things. And she went to a pastor that was in town, a Lutheran pastor. They were by the tower at the church, and she, she confessed the things that were going on and the struggles she was having and the anger she was feeling. And, and the pastor said, look at that, the bell tower. There's a bell in there. And what happens is there's a man in there that pulls the bell to ding, the bell, back and forth, ding-dong, back and forth on the bell. And he lets to go of the rope, but the bell keeps making noise. But eventually it becomes more and more faint. Eventually it stops. And the pastor said, I think that that's what forgiveness is like a lot of times. You forgive, but there's still pain there, and there's still difficulty. and It fades with time, but it takes time. I don't think because you still have feelings there, you can't forgive. You haven't forgotten some things you won't forget in this life. There'll be consequences sometimes in this life. And maybe you won't be able to have reconciliation, but you can forgive. Is there anyone that you need to forgive? What a way to put on a demonstration of the love of Christ. Believer, you need to forgive someone today. And maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Then, then even in the relationships you have with other people, what you ultimately need is you need the forgiveness of God. And you can have that by asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior. I want to ask you, if you want to do that today, right now, to, to even right now at your computer screen or in your living room, if you would bow your head and close your eyes, will you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And regardless of how much sin you have, maybe you have a lot of sin or maybe you just have a little bit of sin in your mind, you've sinned against a holy God and you could never repay. There's not enough good works. There's not enough cleaning up your act. There's not enough going to church and acknowledge that before him. And if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for those sins and that Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus is offering you eternal life, then say this, Father, I want to receive your forgiveness right now and ask Jesus Christ into my life to be my Savior. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices if you just did that. And if you would, would you please let us know that by texting us, emailing us, maybe coming in person to our campus and telling us. We'd love to help you grow in that relationship with Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, let me pray for you. Father, I pray for the, the need for forgiveness in our country and our world right now. Help us to be a light. Help us to be a city on a hill. Help us to live out our faith, Father, as believers in you. God, if there's someone here that's, that's needing to seek to be forgiven by someone, give them the boldness to, to turn from their sins, acknowledge their sin, take responsibility, and go humbly to someone and ask for forgiveness. If there's somebody right now that needs to forgive someone else, God, would you have them be that blessing to someone else's life because you've transformed them? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.